Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, then please turn to them to James chapter 1 as we continue today with a series of messages out of the book of James that we started last week that we're calling God's Word and My Everyday Life. And as I explained last week, we're calling it that for this reason. That's what James talks about, okay? He talks about God's Word in our everyday life, and we said, you know, it's even a little bit uncanny in that it's like he's stepped into our lives at some point. And then under the guidance of God, and I think that's important, he's gathered up what God thinks are some of the most important topics in our lives. And then it's as though James sits down with us across from a table, you know, and he just spreads them all out and says, all right, here's the deal. This is what God's Word says about this, and this is what God's Word says about this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, until he's done. And as we also saw last week, his gift is not one of subtlety. James is really direct. In fact, if you were with us last week, he took up the the everyday topic of suffering, didn't didn't he? And he came to us in the midst of our suffering, to people who were suffering deeply, a lot of you here today, and here's what he said, and this is how he said it right out of the gate. He said, guys, suffering deeply? Okay, here's the deal. Here's God's command to you, not suggestion. Here's what you are to do in faith. You are to count it all joy that you're suffering. You know, I mean, that just doesn't give you the warm fuzzies. That's not real endearing. Now, he then went on to give us his reasoning, and his reasoning, of course, is impeccable. It is the Word of God to us, and as you see his reasoning unfold, you go, oh, wow, okay, yeah, when I look at it like that, through that magnifying glass of faith, I can see why it is that even in the midst of my suffering, I'm to count it all joy, but my point is he didn't start with the reasoning, build his case, kind of brought you along with him on the journey, and then finally, after he sort of explained it all in advance, then said, and therefore, here's my conclusion, you should count it all joy when you suffer. He just came right out and said, Count it all joy when you suffer. And I don't know about you, but it made me kind of want to punch him in the nose so he could count it all joy in that moment with me. (laughs) He's really direct. How many of you thought he was direct last week? Child's play compared to how direct he is going to be today. Child's play. Let me just take everything that he's going to say to us and put it in one sentence. And it's, it's, it's a sobering sentence. The sentence is this. What James is going to say to us today is that real Christians... Now, pause. Think about that. Real Christians, not just people who profess to be Christians, not people who may even think that they're Christians. Real Christians don't just listen to God's Word. They also do it. There's the message in a nutshell. Real Christians don't just listen to God's Word. They also do it. Now, please hear this as well. They don't do it perfectly, and I am living witness to that. And they don't always do it consistently, do we? In fact, there are periods of time in our lives where we care a lot less about God than there are in some other periods of time in our lives. But I will tell you, and James will tell you, those are periods of peril. Like, we ought to be thinking, hey... um, You know, there's something desperately wrong if I don't care about God's Word. Why? Because, well, as he's going to spell out for us today, real Christians don't just listen to God's Word, they do it. And there are always going to be issues in our lives. As God grows us progressively by His Spirit and through His Word and makes us more and more and more like Jesus, there are always going to be issues in our lives where we're wrestling with God, where we're struggling with God over what God's Word says on the one hand and over what our lives, if we're really honest, say on the other hand. But here's my point. 
We're wrestling with God over those things. We're struggling with God over those things. We're not just saying, I'm completely indifferent to those things. Real Christians don't just listen to God's Word, they also do it. You can think of it this way. If you're really a follower of Jesus, then you're following Jesus. And yeah, you may stop, and you might go over here for a little bit, and then, but you're going to come back and keep going. And you might stop again and go over here for a little bit, but you're going to come back and you're going to keep going. And yeah, you may take a few steps backward now and then, but you're going to re-up and keep going. Real Christians don't just listen to God's Word. They also do it. That's what he starts telling us in James 1, verse 18. Please don't miss it. He says this. He says, of his, meaning of God's own will. Now watch what God did of his own will because it's way cool. God brought us forth. God gave spiritual birth to His people. How did He do that? We know that He did it by the Holy Spirit, but what is the direct instrument that He used? By the Word of truth. So God of His own will brought us forth. He gave spiritual birth to us by the Word of truth. Why? That we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. What is James saying? He's saying that real Christians are brand new creatures that God has given birth to by the Holy Spirit, but through the direct instrumentality of His Word in our lives. And now what He's going to say next is you cannot legitimately claim to be one of those new creatures born of God's Spirit through the instrumentality of His Word if you then check out on God's Spirit and everything else that His Word has to say. It doesn't work that way. You can't come to God and say, listen, God, here's the deal. I'm really interested in your spirit and in what your word has to say about me being forgiven because I am way into that idea. I'd like to be made clean. I would really love to know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. But I'm really not interested in what your spirit wants to do in my life after that or in what your word has to say on, well, pretty much anything else. In other words, Lord, what I'm interested in is I want Jesus as my Savior, I just don't want Jesus as my Lord, and James is going to come and go, no, sorry, hey, it doesn't work that way, it's a package deal. If He really is your Savior, then He really is your Lord. And if He really is not your Lord, uh uh-oh, then He's really not your Savior. How's that for direct? Is that good? It's really something. I had somebody come up to me after the first service and said, man, I feel sorry for you today. I don't know. You know, as I shared with you guys last week, I mean, as I look at James' very direct personality and the way that he delivers his messages, and I reconcile that with what I understand about how the Bible speaks and how God put the Bible together, how He chose certain messengers And then by His Spirit, He ordained what they would say to us, and He ordained by the way that they would say it through their personalities. Then I have to say to myself, well, I guess when it comes to these topics, what I need and what you need is not subtlety. It's direct. I guess, Lord, in Your greater wisdom, what I need is direct. Because normally I would kind of consensus build, you know, James like, no, 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 here it is. 
He says, of his, meaning of God's own will, he brought us forth, he gave spiritual birth to us by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And then he says, know this, my beloved brothers, he says, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. But why? For the anger of man does not produce the very thing that God by his spirit and through the instrumentality of his word desires to see produced in his people. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Again, real Christians are brand new creatures that God, by His Spirit and through His Word, has given birth to. And then by that same Spirit and through that same Word, God then begins to progressively change us that we might begin to live like the new creatures that God in Christ has created us to be, which means, by the way, that there ought to be some things about us that change, that are different, that are, well, new. And there ought to be some things that are old and that are gone too. So what does this require of us? I mean, if that's the program, all right, God by His Spirit and through His Word wants to progressively change me, not just save me, but but make me new. What does that mean? Well, in regards to our attitude toward the Word, it means that we need to have the right kind of attitude toward God's Word, and and James is going to tell us what that attitude is. He tells us that it's an attitude of humility. Listen to what he says in verse 21. He says, therefore, meaning since you're a new creature and you should now begin to live like a new creature, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That's the old stuff. That's the old you. Take that off is the idea. And do what? Because here we go. Receive how? With meekness. Or really, I think a better word is with humility. Receive with humility the implanted Word. So James has said, okay, real Christians don't just listen to God's Word, they also do it. But how do we do it? Well, we do it, first of all, by developing the right kind of attitude toward God's Word. What kind of attitude is that? It's an attitude of humility. So you got to pause and go, okay, what's my attitude toward the Word of God? Let me give you some options. I think a lot of us avoid God's Word. Have you ever done that? Am I the only one? It's just me? You avoid it because you don't really want to know what it's going to say, or worse, you already know what it's going to say, you just don't want to hear it again, and again, and again, and again. I think a lot of us ignore it. I mean, we're cool with some topics, but with others, it's like, la, 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 is he done preaching yet, la, 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 you know, seriously, just get get it over with, oh, I have to endure this one, la, 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 we don't want to hear it. We want to ignore it. I think a lot of us take it under advisement. Hey, you know what, Lord? I appreciate the opinion, and uh, I'm going to take it under advisement. And I'm going to get back with you. Maybe. Maybe not. I think all of us, to some degree, pick and choose amongst it, don't we? I mean, none of us are as humble as we ought to be when it comes to God's Word. Let's just be honest. And there are topics that we love the pastor to preach on, and we look around the room and say, preach on it. Let all these sinners know about this, because you're cool with it, right? It's the one thing that doesn't bother you. It's the, th- it's the area that you don't struggle. You're like, I excel in this. Preach to the sinners, Tom. Okay, but don't talk about this. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about to me about my sex life. Don't talk to me about pornography. Don't talk to me about money. Don't talk to me about my attitude. Don't talk to me about what? How would you fill in the blank? Because all of us have a thing that we'd write in there. We don't all do God's Word perfectly. There are always areas that we're struggling and wrestling with God over between what His Word says and what our lives say. But guys, 
we're struggling and wrestling, right? I think some of us like to take the Bible and reinterpret it, twist and turn it, go through all this linguistic gymnastics to make it say something more accommodating than what it actually says. We all have that in us. Believe me, I know. But I think kind of the bottom line when it comes toward your attitude toward the Bible is this. When you look at the Bible, do you see yourself as standing above the Bible? That is to say, you are its judge. Or do you see yourself in humility standing underneath it and receiving from it? Because that's the position of faith. That's the position of humility. That's what James is calling us to. Again, second part of verse 21, he says, receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted word. And that's important too because he's making an agricultural analogy. He's saying that the true believer stands beneath in humility the word of the living God and allows the Lord God to then deposit seed by seed of His Word into the soil of His heart, which then begs the question of, well, how do you know if you're doing that? Well, I think the answer to that is you look for fruit. Because here's what we know. Good seeds planted in good soil bring forth fruit. And they may bring forth a lot of fruit, like, and you know Christians like that. You look at their lives and go, my goodness, look at the abundance of fruit, you know. Or they may bring forth like one orange on a tree. But they always bring forth fruit. And if they don't bring forth fruit, what James is trying to say to us is that the problem's not with the seed. It's with the soil. And if you don't buy that, then he very bluntly says, well, then you're deceiving yourself. He says again, receive with meekness or humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And then he drops the agricultural analogy completely and he just plainly says, but be doers of the word. Let the humbly received implanted seed of God's word do what it should do organically. Do what it ought to do naturally. And that's an interesting thought too, isn't it? I mean, if God's seed is going into our heart and it's really finding good soil and it's taking root, okay, it's going to bring forth fruit. We're not going to have to manufacture the orange on the tree. It's just going to happen. He says, be doers of the Word. The Word calls for action. And not hearers only, because if all you're doing is listening, James says, well, you're deceiving yourself, and you're like deceiving myself into thinking what? Well, that you belong to Jesus when perhaps you don't. And James isn't the only guy who says this. Listen to the words of the Lord. Jesus speaking, John 14, verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you that whoever believes in me will also do what? He will do the works that I do. Well, what works are those? The works by which the kingdom are built. The gospel mercies of Christ, the gospel message of Christ. It's, you know, it's feeding the hungry, it's clothing the naked, it's sheltering the homeless, it's, it's all of these different things. And it is very definitely also the preaching of the gospel message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. He's saying, look, you can't on the one hand claim to be the recipient of that gospel and on the other hand do absolutely zero to further it. It's antithetical. It doesn't work. John 14, verse 21, whoever, whoever has my commandments, he says, and 
keeps them. He it is who loves me. John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. John 14, 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my word. He's like, look, if you really love me, this is what will happen in your life organically, naturally, spontaneously. You will begin to develop a, a heart for me and for, for my word and for following me and for for living in relationship and going on mission with me. He's like, hey, this is the way it's supposed to be. John 15, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. Luke 11, verse 28, but Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and who avoid it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. One last example, Matthew 7, verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now, that's an interesting statement, Lord, Lord. The repetition is interesting because originally he's speaking to a Jewish audience and a Jewish audience in the first century would have understood this. And if you just think biblically for a minute, well, you're going to come to understand it too. The repetition there is a claim to intimacy. It is a claim to knowledge. It is a claim to really know someone, to even to love someone. Abraham raises the knife above his son. He's going to sacrifice him in obedience to God. You remember? And the angel of the Lord calls out to Abraham and he says, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand upon the boy. Remember that? Moses is out in the Midianite desert tending to his sheep. He sees this bush. It's on fire. It's not being consumed. That's odd. So he goes over to check it out. And the Lord God calls to him from the bush. And what does he say? He says, Moses... Moses, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. David's son Absalom dies, and David is grief-stricken for the loss of his son. And he says, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, would that it had been I instead of you. Jesus cries out to Paul in the midst of his rebellion. He's calling him to himself. It's beautiful, really. On the Damascus Road, he's going off to persecute more Christians. And yet, how does the Lord call Paul? He says, Paul. Paul. He's saying, I love you, Paul. I, I know you, Paul. Jesus captures that. And he says, you know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, that requires a little introspection, doesn't it? And I know you're thinking, okay, Tom, are you telling me that if I claim to be a Christian, but I really don't care about living for Jesus that I might not be a Christian? I'm not saying that at all. That's exactly, however, what James is saying. And it's what Jesus is saying. And it's what Paul says and others. What I'm saying is if there's no fruit, there's no root. What I'm saying is that followers of Christ follow Christ. What I'm saying is simply what he's saying. And what he's saying is that real Christians, as opposed to people who profess to be believers, do the Word, guys. We don't just listen to it. And we don't do it perfectly. And he knows that. And his grace covers that. We don't do it consistently. Again, in following Jesus, sometimes we step off the path. Sometimes we go backwards on the path. Sometimes we get all turned around on the path. But we come back to the path. We are always wrestling with God over seed that He wants to implant in our heart that, you know, honestly, we'd prefer not to have. 
but we're wrestling with God. It's a faith exercise that understands that we need to submit to God's Word because we receive it humbly. His is the Word of wisdom, not mine. His is the Word of knowledge, not mine. His is the Word of life, not mine. And if you don't buy that, then James, our very blunt friend, says, well, then you're deceiving yourself. Again, second part of verse 21, receive with meekness or humility the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That's how powerful it is. And it's able also to transform your life. It calls you back from the dead. And then he goes on and says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself if that's all you're doing. And then he says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, and don't miss the analogy, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, and what does he do? He goes away and forgets what he was like. Did you follow the sequence? He looks at himself in the mirror. What does a mirror do? It reveals to him things about himself. You know, he's got a cowlick sticking up. He needs to shave. He's got gunk in his eyes. He looks more like his dad today than he did yesterday. Maybe that's just me too. But he looks into the mirror and the mirror gives him a reflection. The reflection gives him information and it gives him an opportunity, therefore, then to do something with that information. But the point is, the one who just hears the word and never does anything with it, looks into the mirror, sees what he really looks like and walks away and chooses to forget. That's the one who hears only but not the doer. For he then goes on to say in verse 25, he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, which by the way, acts very much like a mirror. When we look into the perfect law of God, what do we see? We see who we really are morally in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of mom, not in the eyes of Tom, not in the eyes of your husband or wife or children or parents or, you know, friends or neighbors. But when we look in to the perfect law of God, which is a reflection of the very holiness and the perfections of God Himself, and we see ourselves in contrast to that, well, what we see is a little alarming. In fact, it's a lot alarming. The law is a mirror. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, and then he describes the law, he says he calls it the law of liberty. Now, how is it the law of liberty? I mean, it seems like the law of depression, doesn't it, in some sense? I mean, if that's what you see, it's like, oh, man, really? It's the law of liberty if you do something about what you see. If you look into that reflection and see who you truly are morally before God, not mom, not Tom, but before the Lord, and you realize, you know what, I can't undo this. I can't make clean what I've made dirty. I can't go back and fix it all. And it drives you to the only one who can. That's the gospel, man, that the Lord Christ came and He lived the perfect life that all of us live. When He looks into the perfect law, He sees His own reflection, and it's nothing but beauty. And then He took upon Himself all of our filth, all the stuff we see in that mirror, and He took it away and washed it away with His blood on the cross that through faith in Him, God, our Heavenly Father, sees us as pure, as holy, as beautiful. 
That's the gospel, see, and it sets us free, this law does, when it drives us to Jesus, the only one who can fix this problem. And it sets us free also as we then submit our lives to God's Word and to God's Spirit, that the same Spirit who saved us and the same Word that drove us to Jesus now begins to progressively transform us into the image of Jesus that we begin to live like the new creatures more and more and more so that we've been created in Christ to be, that we die more and more unto sin and live more and more unto righteousness, reflecting the righteousness of God in ever greater and increasing capacities in our lives, and in doing that, avoid so many of the entanglements and pitfalls and enslavements and addictions that will otherwise be ours. It is a law of liberty. It's not a law that comes along to kill your fun. It's wisdom. So anyway, he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't forget it. He sticks in it. He stays with it, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts because the word calls for action. Action. He will be blessed in his doing. What is James saying? He's saying the law of God, the word of God is like a mirror. And when you look into it, it reveals things about you, and it gives you the opportunity to do something. He's saying those who walk away and choose to forget about it do not belong to Jesus. Those who run to Christ and then in ever-increasing measure get underneath that word and allow God seed by seed to plant His seed and bring forth fruit, those are the true believers in Christ. Real Christians don't just listen to God's word. They do it. And then James closes with three tests, which really kind of forecasts so much of what we'll talk about in the rest of the book, and I really want to flesh those things out when we get there. But he says this, verse 26, if anyone thinks that he is religious or that he really belongs to Jesus, if you will, and does not bridle his tongue, oh, good grief, he's going to talk to us about our mouths. Now, that's an area of struggle, isn't it? Maybe that one's just me too. If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious is worthless. Oh, you know the subtlety. My goodness. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. It is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. It is to minister to the helpless. We'll talk about our mouths in chapter 3. We'll talk about the helpless in chapter 2, and then he says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's chapter 4. So in conclusion then, what is the gospel according to James? The gospel is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is to say, when we look into the perfect law, we go, "Uh uh-oh, I can't do anything about this. And it's a problem. And we run to Jesus, the only cure for this problem. But that's not all we do. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but as the Reformers, Martin Luther and others would say, not by a faith that is alone. That is to say, if we have truly run to Jesus, who has given birth to us by His Spirit and through His Word, we then don't reject His Spirit and Word and live apart from Him from then on. But instead, as He increases our grace, we position ourselves underneath His Word, and we allow Him by that same Spirit 
and through that same word to progressively transform us into the new creatures that he has created us in Christ to be. If the seeds find good soil, they bring forth fruit. You follow? Real Christians don't just listen to God's word week after week and then walk away as if they've heard nothing. And don't do anything with it and bring forth no fruit in their lives. They do it. They do it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word as we find it uh, in James. Um, Lord, we shudder a bit at its lack of subtlety. And yet, Father, I pray that you would give us the grace and the faith necessary to accept that it is a direct message that you and wisdom have given to us and that it is good that you have done so. And Lord, I pray that we would find a challenging unto salvation. In other words, God, I pray that it would cause us to examine our lives and to look for fruit. And if there is no fruit, then, Father, I pray that we would come back to our Lord and this time submit our lives to Him for real. And stop saying things like, Lord, I'm interested in your spirit and your word, but only because I'd like to go to heaven, but I'm basically not interested in anything else beyond that. That's not real. It's not authentic. It's not genuine. It is not a giving of oneself to Christ in truth. But instead, I pray that you would humble us by your holy law, by all that we see within us, and that we would come to Jesus for real. And in humility, give ourselves to him and find the rescue that is found in him alone. And then in humility, begin by the power of his spirit, day by day, to offer ourselves to Him in gratitude and in worship. Lord, to allow Him to implant His seeds into our hearts. And God, I pray for those of us here today who are wrestling and who are struggling, who are avoiding Your Word in various areas. We all have a fill-in-the-blank there. God, I pray that You would break us that you would cause us to see that our Savior is sweeter than whatever it is that we're savoring in His place, that you would cause us to surrender that area, to open up our hearts and to allow that seed to be implanted. Remind us, God, that we stand under your word. It is the word of wisdom, knowledge, and life, and not ours. Lord, give us the faith that we need now to live ever more for you today than we did yesterday and tomorrow than we will today. Make us into the new creatures that you have created us in Christ Jesus to be, we pray. And do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.